0: Hey, everyone. I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS-9 episodes, Southpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighters Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work, and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS9, go to patreon.com slash and join our community. You can also go to salpopod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. This is Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens, episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh and non-fan-biased eyes, and Scott is the veteran Trek fan who knows more about all things Star Trek. We are discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 14, Whispers. Scott, can you tell us about this episode?
1: Oh man, Sam, you just did the thing that I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Southpaw ASMR. Just kidding. Miles is going through the wormhole and says, I have to make something clear what has happened the past few days. He says, people are after him, but don't know why and don't know who they are. Says, there's a puzzle and needs to know how things got bad. Then we have a flashback. Miles has come back from the Parada system working on peace talks. Miles gets coffee in the morning and he notices that Molly is being aloof and that Keiko didn't sleep in the bed last night. And she goes to work with Molly very early in the morning. Miles gets to work and another engineer is already working on engineering systems. He sees Cisco talking to Keiko and they're looking at him and we go back to the runabout. Miles is talking about, I noticed curious behavior. Everyone is acting weird. We go back to the station. Bashir insists on giving Miles a physical. Very insistent. The The Parada have had a 12-year civil war, and they are coming for a peace talk. And then Miles finds out that the pylons are down, and all these things are going down Engineerly? that engineerly? I don't know. <laughs> from an engineering standpoint that miles already rebuilt he's like why are you having me build why are you having me work on this i rebuilt all the subsystems um he's like cisco why are you talking to keiko And he's like oh we're just talking about jake bashir does Miles' physical they have some banter but his physical comes back a-okay and uh Miles mentions that his mother passed away two years ago and Bashir doesn't remember. And Miles is like, oh, what's going on? He, he's walking and Jake asks him about engineering. He's like, oh, I want to build this cool thing. Can you, can you help me? Um, and just like Miles is noticing that he's just like occupied and not being involved in the peace talks. He just keeps on being told to do stuff. Um, and whenever he tries to do other stuff, Cisco's like, I need the pylons fixed. And Miles, he's like starting to get paranoid, or as we said in the '90s, noited. Uh, and then Miles, Miles is confused because Jake was supposed is supposed to come over for dinner to ask about his science project, but cancels last minute. And Miles tries to be intimate, romantic with Keiko, but she's but she's like really not into it. She makes him a stew that. He knows she doesn't like and she doesn't eat it, so he chooses not to eat it. And he's he just keeps on drinking coffee, you know, throughout the episode in the afternoon. And remember from the last episode about does Miles drink coffee because it gets him a little too hyped and has trouble sleeping. Then we go back to Miles in the runabout, and he's talking about the past. Miles is trying to find weird activity. He's going through the logs, and he see if like there's any weird stuff going on like is there telepathic activity or anything like that And he can find nothing abnormal he's going through all this information he's listening to logs he's trying to find something weird and after a certain date miles is n- not allowed to listen to the logs he's locked out his access is denied even when he does his access code he's not allowed he goes to work and finds it even you know on the deck, there's like traps to keep him from looking at the files, but he's able to get them. And when he gets to the logs, he finds out that they are in fact observing his moves. And they are they are, you know, are you paranoid if people are following you? Uh so he asks Odo to investigate. Miles is just really agitated. And when he when he goes to meet Odo again in the office, he realizes that Odo is now. And on the mistrust, and Miles just runs away. He, he like, he like uses his blaster and he's like running away. He's like trying to get to, trying to get away. He sees Jake, but he's like, help me out. Everyone's trying to get me, but he's like, he's like, nah, son. Like he's in on it too. So Miles escapes on a runabout getting blasted. And then so we're caught up to speed. And he talks to a Federation bigwig. He's like, "There's this conspiracy against me," and she's like, "Go back home." So he's he realizes she's in on it too. He goes through the wormhole. He drinks mad coffee. He gets to the Parada system. He beams to Prada two, and when he gets there, um, Cisco, Kira, and some Prada rebels are there, and they tell him that if he just goes through a door, he will understand. And he doesn't want to. And he gets shot. He gets and Bashir shows up after Miles gets blasted, and then, strangely, another Miles shows through the door. The Miles that we have seen all episode is a clone. He was designed probably to assassinate somebody at the peace talks, and he and as this was happening, Miles was being held captive and up to wires. So they used his vitals to make him a near perfect copy. They used his connections to know what he knew. So that's why he was kept out of the system. That's why he was given an, a physical to try to see what was going on. And then the clone dies, but he tells everyone before he dies, I love, you know, that he loves Keiko and then some cool
0: space music plays. This was more of a classic sci-fi episode or a Twilight Zone style episode. It's a very TNG style episode, which I really like. It was like a body snatcher story, but in reverse. And I'm not going to lie. The twist of this episode got me. I had no idea. What if you're the body snatcher and you don't know it? It's also an episode about perspective, whose view is correct. Kind of like the last episode, it's a lot of philosophical questions. And like that last episode, which also centered on O'Brien, this one too had a moral dilemma. If a replicant is sentient, then is killing them murder?
1: Without going into great detail, this is a thought and question that permeates the Star Trek universe.
0: Especially with the transporters.
1: Know about like replicants and cloning and,
0: and, and yeah. Yes. I know. Oh. If you take philosophy courses or you like hang out in philosophy forums and stuff, the transporter is now kind of like the trolley equation. It's become a way to explain certain philosophical dilemmas and questions. And so they bring it up to philosophy students, whether they're a fan of Star Trek or not, everybody's familiar with the idea of the transporter. But if that was realistic, what's really happening is you're getting disintegrated on this side and they're making a replicant of you on the other side. Then is you getting destroyed on this side? Is that murder? So that is a question if there's a perfect copy of you on the other side. And so we think, yes, but if it's a perfect copy of you, it's actually a lot more complicated than people think. So that's the transporter problem. So it's like kind of something philosophy has borrowed from Star Trek to make it easier to tell a philosophical question as a story that people can relate to. And they also now do this with certain matrix stuff too. So when you reappear,
1: you're a new person?
0: Yeah. So if you think about this logically, right? You on this side, Are getting disintegrated, literally disintegrated, right? The you that shows up on the other side from a transporter. I know you said in the last episode that these types of scientific questions sometimes bums you out. So this is one that depresses a lot of philosophy students and freaks them out. But if you're being transported, then really it's not you that's transferring over there, it's the information of you being transported over there. And now from the material on the other side, right? Because you're made of mass, you're made of matter. Then it's not the same matter that was on this side. It has to be made from new matter over there that has to be now be imbued with information of you, the previous you. So molecule for molecule, matter for matter, you're not the same thing that went into the replicator. Does that make sense?
1: It does. So I will never be beamed up. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) A note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at salpapod.com. So this whole idea of like people thought about uh, uploading their consciousness into the cloud and living forever that's why the transporter problem became more popular because people were using that to explain it because they were pretty analogous. But basically what would be being uploaded would not be your soul because for transporters to work for you to be uploaded, you would have to then believe that there is a soul that could be transported electronically from here to the cloud. And then the cloud is some kind of housing unit for souls. Then that's just the heaven at that point, right? No. No. But if you don't believe in souls, and even if you do, you don't think they could be housed in electrical conduits, then it's just a copy of all your memories and information about you stored in a cloud as ultimately broken down into binary codes, right?
1: It's a control V of yourself.
0: Yes. So it's a copy of you. Same thing. Transporter. Instead of being housed in a cloud, it will be housed in a cloud temporarily until you are reassembled on the other side. And... Unless you think a soul is being transported through fiber optics, it's just information and then it's a copy of you, a replicant on the other side. So that's why this episode is actually, if you understand the philosophy behind it, it's much more complicated than people think, which is why I enjoy this episode so much. So going back to this episode and talking about the replicant, if the replicant is perfect and they have all your memories, then how do you know which one is the original and which is the copy? I think this episode was trying to make it more matter of fact, black and white, right? The one connected to the wires is the real one. But from a philosophical standpoint, it's much more complicated because now you open up the possibility. If both are perfect and you did a medical test and there's no way to discern it, then you could have shuffled the two. The copy could have been there. The original could have been sent, but that information could have been leaked. But basically, once you remove one from the wire, then you have them both stand there. There's no way for you to know which one is the original. And so, from a philosophical standpoint, especially here, because both retain O'Brien's qualia, the quality of being O'Brien, and they're physically identical. So, there's no way to know who is real and who is a copy. At that point, you just have to accept both as being O'Brien or arbitrarily choose and kill the other to protect the lie, which is also similar to the last episode. So, we've had episodes before where we've had dual aliens where two different bodies created one alien so you would have to accept them as this new sci-fi non-binary dual relationship being now at that point or you don't have to accept in that way and you could just eliminate one so i liked how the ending remained ambiguous and how the episode made you question everything you saw in this episode and everything you thought you knew about the reality of this episode kind of relating back to the previous episode about deep fake. it so about like this whole thing being kind of a deep fake. And it reminded me of this Orson Welles documentary.
1: F for fake. Yes. One of the greatest movies ever made.
0: F for fake. The fake O'Brien, which we thought was the real O'Brien. As far as our current technology, we're not there yet with the ability to replicate people, but we are there with objects. What's the original and what's the copy? If they're identical. Like with online images or artwork or inventions or software, let's say I sent you something to your phone and now you have it on your phone. Well, which is the original, which is the copy? You know, you don't think about it in those terms because what I had on my end was also a copy that I just got from somebody else too, right? If it's a picture or a meme. And that is also the original definition of a meme, which is like the self-contained idea unit that just replicates itself. And there is no original. It just keeps spreading. And so we see that with inventions and software, like I said, with artwork. But what about money when you could print more of it? And basically, they all have value and an original based on punishment and consequences. Even though you can make unlimited copies of money, it has value because we will penalize you if you don't accept this value. If you try to replicate it and it's not authorized by the US, they'll punish you. With artwork and inventions and such, they're all property. They become property. So, how do you secure and say this is the original? You turn it into property, or by being the original, it automatically becomes property. So, the original has value because if you try to reduce its value by replicating it, they're going to come after you again with punishment, right? It's intellectual property laws. In this episode, the replicate was punished for existing. It broke intellectual property laws of O'Brien. Capitalism creates unlimited wealth through unlimited punishment, meaning the more wealth that is creating for the minority of people who have all the wealth, for that money to not get diluted and for that money to keep growing and have more value, that means that the rest of us who don't have money have to constantly be punished for not having that money. Otherwise, that money wouldn't have value. If none of us were punished, like if I wasn't punished for not paying my rent, and there was no consequences of that, then what is the value of my apartment? What is the value of my apartment building? What is the value of this property if it can't generate any of that rent income, right? And it could generate all that because of punishment.
1: Right. That's, that's real.
0: That's really, yeah. So if you think about what backs money, if you're thinking about the benefits or some kind of objective thing, nothing. It's just an idea. It's backed by nothing. But what is backed on reality is the lack of money, having negative value, penalties. That's backed by weapons. That's backed by the state. That's backed by you going to jail or getting killed or ending up unhoused and dying in a myriad of ways from poverty that way. And so the immunity from those consequences is what gives money value, what creates wealth. The more of these units that makes me more and more immune to those things and keeps giving me not only immunity, but further, further immunity from it where I become more and more godlike, more and more immortal. That is wealth. And more wealth, the accumulation of wealth, gives you more of that immunity, which is why you become godlike. So this is a tangent off of this episode, but these are questions that this episode is touching upon. And even the last episode, Armageddon Game, touched upon these philosophical ideas. The execution, kind of like the acting, right? The acting is sometimes above the writing. The execution of these questions, maybe not so great, but the questions themselves are worthy of exploration, which is why I love these types of philosophical, Twilight Zone-ish, to your point, the next generation-ish episodes.
1: Yeah, this episode gets like a
0: non-mythology three. So nothing that happened in this episode will matter in the future.
1: Except that we are made of matter. And when we transport our matter, transports, and we might not even be that matter. Yeah, this kind of shit keeps me up at night, but
0: <laughs> that's okay. I'm a grown up. I did like how, even though mythology wise, it doesn't give anything where it's not important for future episodes, it did play upon a lot of things that we learned in past episodes, right? Like I said about like, dual sentience. There's some alien species we've met like that. But when we were thinking about body snatchers, we also had previous episodes where the crew was somehow being manipulated by other species. We've had episodes where everybody gets affected by a gas except Odo, which had a payoff in this episode because we know he doesn't have a respiratory system. So you were kind of thinking like maybe Odo is also immune to whatever affected everybody else, right? And then when he was in on it, then you were really confused and taken for a loop for the ending. So it had a lot of like those type of like film noir. Twilight Zone is very film noir too, right? It had that film noir mystery thing to it where you're constantly questioning everything you thought you knew. And then you know it's all hinging about how they deliver the ending, which is always a risk when you're writing if everything hinges on the ending.
1: I hadn't seen this episode in any of my rewatches, so I didn't even remember what the twist was. And although I knew that there was a twist and I knew like something was up, um, it was actually not what I remembered it to be. It's not what I, I was like, ooh, I'm actually, I, this, this was not exactly what I was expecting. I was like, oh, he's in a simulation and they're using, he's, they're using him to learn information which is true, but that's not what we experienced.
0: So even having watched this in the past, if you don't remember it and you watch it again, the storytelling is told in such a way where you couldn't even remember or guess the ending, right? Right. And also visual memory is uh, the least
1: reliable of our memories. And it's weird because the more we talk about our, our memory, the more it changes.
0: And also because the last episode was about O'Brien, you assumed, oh, it's another episode about O'Brien, and then you realized, no, it wasn't. It was an episode about a fake O'Brien. That he was drinking all this coffee,
1: I was like, what's up with that? Because I thought he doesn't like to drink that much coffee in the afternoon. So I wonder if that was like, a,
0: like a, a hint or an Easter egg. I think you're right. I think it was a hint, but at the same time, it also played off of last Episode where it also felt like it was playing on that joke, right? About Keiko not really knowing his coffee drinking habits. So I was like, huh, that could mean something, or it's just playing on that joke. Like, hey, we're still rubbing this in that everything from the last episode was based on a misunderstanding that would just worked out. So I feel like these two episodes work in tandem. They work better if you watch both of them, then it's a little bit more enjoyable. And they're both kind of fun, clever, cutesy episodes with some. Good acting, some good twists, but overall, like you said, right, it's not the strongest as far as like writing or mythology or if it even matters to this season.
1: Well, one thing that does matter is that at the core of things, Miles, in his whole body, even as another entity, loves Keiko. Mm. That's what I got from it, even when cloned. In, in his bones, the thing one of the thing that does define him is his love.
0: maybe ultimately that love is why he didn't turn into whatever weaponized killing machine that he was supposed to be and he was trying to be like they said in the story a hero Yeah because miles, I guess, at his core,
1: is a good dude, is a hero and is really. Pushed by love and duty.
0: Scott, can you tell us a bit about the next episode?
1: Yes, I can. The next episode is called Paradise. And uh, Cisco and Miles, my, I guess they were paying Cole extra during this bit.
0: <laughs> Cisco and Miles go on an adventure. Oh, wow. Another Miles episode. All right. All right. Until then.
1: Ta-da-da-da-da.